Hello, Ukramedia family. Vladimir Pragnevsky here, and welcome to another episode of the Ukramedia podcast, where it is my mission to introduce you to as many talented creatives as possible. And today's guest is a veteran freelance animator and designer, Jake Matthew. Jake, welcome to the show and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be on my the show pleasure. and good to hear other human beings <laughs> during the <laughs> <Right>. quarantine. <laughs> Uh, something that most people don't know is like, ever since I was a child, I've had reoccurring nightmares about killer whales. <laughs> Interesting. Like, even like as an adult, like maybe every few years I'll have like this weird killer whale nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like when I'm awake, I, I'm not afraid of them and I actually feel bad for them, especially like the mistreatment of orca whales with SeaWorld and stuff. But like. I don't know why I, I have this like weird reoccurring nightmare. I'm going to put my Dr. But, uh, Phil hat on for a second. We're going to have a therapy yeah. session here. <laughs> now, where, where, did this, where did this come from? Did you watch some kind of movie or something, heard something? I think it started like when I was really young. I accidentally watched like this 80s or 70s horror <laughs> film called Orca, do it. The Killer Whale. And I think I still get like these, you know, post-traumatic syndrome. <laughs> Yeah. From from all the way from childhood. Well, well, you know, yep. it's I, I I have something similar, but mine with uh, what's it? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. When I was a child, I had this dream where it's just like chasing me around the neighborhood. It was like reoccurring like several times, but but it's <laughs> over now. It's over. I, I buried that dream, so no more, no, none of that. But you know, Jake, I was looking through your uh, kind of changing topics. I was looking through your Instagram, and uh, mm-hmm. by the way, you have some beautiful work. I mean. People should Thank go you. to your Instagram account. It's beautiful. You have a lot of cool stuff. But one thing that kind of stood out to me, you have two kids, right? Or do you have, I saw pictures yep. of two kids. Two okay, boys. So two, yeah. two boys. I have two boys also. So I, I know exactly what you're going through. can relate. <laughs> yep. But I was I was looking through your pictures and man, you have a lot of pictures with celebrities. Now, your, your kids are just <laughs> blessed, man. I saw so many celebrities like, man, how, how did this come about? <laughs> So yeah, I'm a big comic book fan. So I love all the Marvel. I grew up on Marvel comics and like now all these Marvel movies are coming out and living in Chicago, we have maybe three big comic cons a year. And usually one of those, you know, celebrities will show up. So like I tell the kids, hey, you guys want to meet Ant-Man or you want to meet Captain (laughs) America? You're probably the coolest dad. They probably love you. I saw a lot of other animations you did with kids. It's good for you, you know, incorporating your passion with your kids. And I'm sure they'll grow up and they'll probably carry that passion as well. They're probably already doing it now, right? Yep. uh, They like that I uh, incorporate my skills. And like uh, when my youngest or when my oldest son was around like three or four, he was starting to get into superheroes. So he had all the superhero pajamas. (laughs) <laughs> so I, like I filmed him like pretending to be Iron Man, pretending to be Thor <laughs> and Hulk. And then I kind of added the visual effects and like each time each video took like a week. But he's like, oh, this is cool. Make some more. <laughs> now, that's, see, that's what yeah. I love about that is that you can incorporate your kids in that. My twin brother, Sergey, he went to like a dollar store and he bought some. Uh, I don't think they were. They were like tablecloth uh, green screen. And he just. He just mm-hmm. hung him up on, on the ceiling and he did the same thing similar. He made this kid like a Spider-Man or a Superman. I forget which one. Well, maybe it was a Batman. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting all that confused. But man, kids will remember that for the rest of their life. And yep. speaking of your kids, I, I saw that there was a, another video 
where your kid was calling to his, I think it was like an eight, eight years gap or something like that. You recorded a conversation he was having oh, yeah. on FaceTime. <laughs> How did that come about? Uh, he was, when he was, I don't think he was around three years old, he was playing, or maybe younger, he was playing with my iPhone at the time. And like, he was like recording himself, like <laughs> pretending to have a conversation. And then I just had that video and like forgot about it. And then recently I saw it and like, be cool if he could actually do a FaceTime with like present day version of himself. And I had him record the second half of that conversation and came out pretty well. Pretty <laughs> nice. well. No, it came out really well. I, I was very impressed. I was like, wait a minute. How did, how did it, <laughs> you got me there for a second, but that's pretty yeah. cool. I, I like that you incorporate your kids and which is a great reminder to myself because I feel like especially creatives to have, well, maybe myself, I can speak for myself, but I have a disconnect with my kids sometimes between work because I kind of treat work as work. But you can mix the two and you can, in a, in a way, inspire them to do similar things by, you know, using their creativity and your creativity and combine that skill together and do the stuff that you do. So that was pretty cool. I was scrolling through your Instagram just like, oh, this is a cool idea. I should do that with my kid. <laughs> anyway, so thanks for that. And no now let's, let's transition talking about your creative journey. So let's start at the very beginning. How did you get into your field? Sure. Uh, growing up, I kind of always was into like storytelling and I was always illustrating and drawing. And even like when I, I think it was, I was in fifth grade, I took like a summer course where it was like stop motion and like an intro to like really crude stop motion claymation and even a little bit of cell animation. It was like, and we like our final project, it was like a week long thing. And our final project was making like a 10 second cartoon that was like recorded on VHS, you know, <laughs> but like that was like my little taste into animation. And even in high school, I got this program. My parents bought me this program called Animation Works. It's probably gone now. It was like late 90s. <laughs> gotcha. It's almost like a precursor to Flash. It was like, you know, it had a timeline and tweening and keyframes and stuff like that. And I was in high school, started to make small little short animated films. But then uh, for college, I uh, went to the uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, where I majored in new media IT. And that's a mix of design courses and tech courses. I didn't really enjoy the tech courses as much because they were pretty hardcore, such as like Java programming and networking systems and PHP and like all this like web development stuff, you know, HTML, CSS, all that stuff. But I did enjoy the design courses, whereas like, taught the design principles and had cool courses on like typography and digital video, digital audio, web design, interface design, and like a teeny bit of uh, animation. And like, even though I, the few animation courses I took, I, le- I loved them, but I didn't think there was an actual career in animation. And I think like all through my undergrad, I don't think the term motion graphic design was ever mentioned once. I didn't think... <laughs> It was probably like, this was the early 2000s, so I don't know if like that term was commonplace yet. Right. But then uh, when I graduated, I felt like I was okay at a lot of different things, but not really great at one thing. But the things that I loved most from my undergrad was the web design and interactive design, and I really wanted to focus on that. So I returned to RIT for grad school, and I ended up getting a master's in computer graphic design. And then around this time, which was now around the mid-2000s, Flash was becoming very popular. 
So with so many websites and online games being made in Flash, most of my courses in grad school were focused on action script and Flash. And I was really, des- really like, I really like Flash and designing websites and games. I didn't really enjoy the action script <laughs> aspect of it, the coding part. And I started to see this trend where like most of my projects had me spending like 20% of the time designing it, like the look and the colors and the style. And then like 80% was spent in action script coding. So like I was going to graduate as like a web designer, web developer, but uh, I wasn't super excited about that, but I'm like, I think it'll be okay. (laughs) But then like, and so my grad school was a two-year program and I spent the first year and a half focused on being this like web developer. But like six months before I graduated, I had this giant revelation. I was like working on a homework assignment where I needed to find examples of great web design and flash design. And I found this portfolio site of this, of this designer named Joshua Davis. Do you know who that is? Sounds familiar. He was pretty popular like in the mid 2000s. He, was, he used like action script and coding to create like compositions, like, uh, like mm-hmm. real time generations. And so I was looking at his site and saw that one of the studios that his client, one of his clients was a, a studio called Stardust. And so I clicked over on their site and uh, there was a thumbnail on their homepage that said Stardust 2005 showreel. I never heard of Stardust and I had never heard, never seen a showreel before, but I pressed play and I watched their reel and I kind of just like sat there in silence <laughs> and watch it again <laughs> and then your I life it again. was changed forever I know, it was like this big moment and i'm like up until that point i always assumed that if i wanted a career in animation i needed to work for dreamworks or pixar or like a cartoon tv series or something so at that moment i started to realize that you could actually get a job creating cool work for commercials or music videos or title sequences and so from that for the first time in my life i knew like 100 percent exactly what I wanted to do with my life. So like the very next day I met with my college advisor and I was able to shift around what my curriculum would look like for the final six months of grad school. I had to like change my thesis statement and my thesis project and stuff. It was like going to be a flash project and I changed it to a motion design short film. And then like a few weeks later, I was able to land a part-time job at a local post-production house in Rochester and I got to work on like local commercials. They weren't uh, very good or pretty. They were kind of cheesy, but it was like the first time seeing my work on television. What was that working. like? It was it was amazing. It was like I was doing like cheesy local like Windows commercials or like car commercials. But I'm like, <laughs> like when people I, scream, I made- "Buy a car now! Buy a car now!" <laughs> I'd be like at a restaurant or bar and see it on the TV. I'm like, "Hey guys, I made that." <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it has to be rewarding. Yeah. And but it was also the first time I like worked with clients and like knew the concept of like deadlines and budgets. And so like it was a like, really good experience, even though like the work wasn't amazing. Was was it stressful? I mean, I was doing that on top of grad school. So like Ooh, okay, yeah. That, but that I knew that I had like a time like a, a stop clock or a the time clock was ticking because I knew I was going to graduate in six months and I kind of just made this giant career change. So like every moment from that decision, I was trying to like 
you had to get, get my portfolio quickly. and get my skills up and stuff. I knew that like I needed a demo reel that I would eventually need to send out to clients. And I pretty much had zero <laughs> projects to put on a reel because all my stuff from undergrad and grad school were like flash websites and games and interface design projects. So after that, everything I was doing for school, any homework assignment, any class project, I was in the back of my mind, I'm like, this needs to be good enough to put on this reel. Right. And then I was working on personal projects on top of that. And like even these local commercials, I was trying to like give it 110%. And then like I had that extra motivation to make everything, you know, real worthy. And then uh, after I graduated, I started contacting studios in like New York and L.A. That's where like a lot of my favorite uh, studios were based. But I ended up taking a job in San Francisco for this startup cable channel owned by Al Gore called Current TV. And oh, that's, yeah. I remember when it was popular. Like it was back yeah. in like 2005-ish or something yep, like that? Yep, exactly. It launched in 2005. It was like a independent news channel. and It was, it was like for high school. Like I remember in high school just hearing about it for like the uh, high school like news and stuff like that. Maybe I'm confusing it with something else. Uh it wasn't much high school, but it was definitely aimed towards younger audiences, and it had like a really nice. Gotcha. It was more like MTV mixed with CNN. It was yeah, like a yeah, really yeah. cool current TV. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I ended up getting a job there, and it was part of their design department, working nice. on uh, TV shows and promos for the channel. And it was really fast paced and sometimes stressful, but <laughs> I think still it might have been my favorite job I've ever had because, like, that design team was like super talented way better than me. So being around them all day, I tried to learn as much as I could and as fast as I could. And I didn't want to be the weakest link of that team. So I'm always, I was, and I was like young in my twenties. So like I was happy to work late hours and now I voluntarily would come in on the weekend when everyone else was gone. I would come into the office on the weekend. I'd try to get my projects that I was working on to be like even better than they were. And I ended up doing working there for a couple years before I made the move to Chicago. And I started freelancing at various studios in the city. And uh, I freelanced about for about a year or so and then ended up returning to the world of broadcast and cable television by uh, taking a job as a motion designer for the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> Ooh. And uh, eventually that became the Oprah Winfrey cable channel, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And I ended up staying there for like over six years and I kind of worked my way up from like a staff motion designer to the art director to finally like senior art director where I managed the design department, which was like a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Jake living the high life. Did you get to hang out with Oprah? (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) She, she (laughs) She saw me like in the control room every now and then or see me in the hallways and like I think after six years, she I don't know if she knew me by name, but she knew I had something to do with the animations or graphics. So like one time she was walking down the hall and she saw me and she pointed at me and she goes, graphics. <laughs> I'm like, that's my name now. She knows me. Graphics. I'm graphics. <laughs> nice. Hey, she can't say the same about me, right? Or other people. That's a step up. Actually, the very first day I worked at Harpo, like I was in the design department room and like above our monitors was like a TV monitor. And if you turn that TV monitor on, it's a live feed to the set. So I turned mine on and I saw like a far shot of the set and it was like Oprah 
sitting in like a folding chair. And I guess they were doing like a photo shoot for the cover of Oprah magazine. And she was just like sitting there and she just kind of like was looking at the floor and everyone was putting the lights and backgrounds around her and setting everything up. And like no one was talking to her and she looked really depressed. I'm like, wait, this is Oprah. And like a whole hour goes by and then suddenly the doors to the studio open and the real Oprah (laughs) comes in. And the person who was sitting there was like a stand in. Who oh. kind of look like Oprah. And so the stand-in moves away. The real Oprah comes in. They take the pick photos. And like three minutes later, Oprah leaves. <laughs> I'm like, wow. That's how it works. <laughs> That's oh power. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second. So they yeah. had a fake person in there. Pretty much do, they're trying to do all the heavy work, like lighting and all the kind other of stuff. Kind of similar skin tone. Kind of had her same Yeah, so when Oprah same- came in, it's just like three minutes later, she's out of the door. Right. She doesn't have time uh, for the setup smart. part. <laughs> she's a busy <laughs> lady. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. I bet you met yeah. some pretty cool people working there. Yeah, during the Oprah, like, I joined like the second to last season of the Oprah show. So every now and then you'd be in the hallway and like you'd see like Tom Hanks walk by or Lady Gaga walk by. And I'm like, whoa, this is cool. Wow. Interesting. So, so yeah, the first few years there, I was pretty much only working on the Oprah Winifrey show. And while it was cool to be like working on such an iconic show that, you know, I, I knew as a kid and I'm, there's all these iconic pop culture moments like Tom Cruise jumping on the couch or, her giving away all the free cars and stuff. I remember like, that, yeah. Yep. But as a designer, it wasn't like the most exciting to me because the show had been on the air for 25 years. So it already had a pretty established visual look and brand. So there wasn't a lot that I so could really add to it. So it's mainly just upkeeping stuff. Yep. Kind of just finishing the show. And like I was like the new guy on like a team that had been there for a while. So like, yeah, but you're the guy that crossed crossed the finish line, though. <laughs> True, you were that guy. You're the guy that carried it all the way to the finish line. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And so then, when that show was ending, is the same time when she launched the cable channel, and that got more exciting for me because then I got to help out on the look of several shows and the look of the network and start all that stuff from the ground up. So like, I felt like I was contributing more to that. And- and that was a rough start there. I remember uh, there was a lot of money involved in all these different things. From what I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. there, there, were, there were some bumps along the way with the, with the cable network, right? Yeah, that first year, I, I think it was not performing as well as it could. And I think Oprah's plan was it would have the Oprah name, but she could have all her friends and people she trusted host the show. So she had, you know, uh, I forgot the names of Dr. Laura Berman and uh, Ianla, all these people that she had interviewed and like her, her friends were hosting the shows. But I think people really just wanted to see Oprah because they right. love Oprah. So that second year, she started coming back and hosting talk shows like Oprah's Next Chapter and Oprah's Life Class starring Oprah. <laughs> so like then the, the ratings started to get better. And that's the danger you face when you put yourself out there so much. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of hard to withdraw yourself from that. Even like when you build a company, when if it's built around a person, it's harder that way. Like I look at, uh, for example, School of Motion, like Joey Corman, the guy who founded the, the whole thing, 
he slowly withdrew himself from that thing. And he slowly, he started introducing other instructors and, and it, it wasn't that hard for him. most people know school of motion, but not a lot of people know Joey Corman, but then, you know, like video co-pilot Andrew Kramer, right? It, it's hard to see that company without Andrew Kramer because he's such a big part of video co-pilot. So anyway, I'm, yep. I'm totally derailing you from your journey. <laughs> now enough talking about the good stuff. Let's talk about the negative stuff. Let's, uh, you know, you're a veteran. You've been in the field for such a long time. I'm curious to hear what kind of dark stories can you tell us? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Take it away. Don't hold back sure. any punches. There's one time. Uh, so also while I was working on the, at the Oprah Winfrey Network channel, one of the shows that I got to art direct was called Wanda Sykes Hilarious. It was like a comedy special. Do you know Wanda Sykes, the comedian? No, but I'm from another country, so I'm like culture oh. stupid. I don't know. <laughs> She's a stand-up comedian, also an actress. She's been in a few comedies and sitcoms and stuff. And so she was hosting this comedy special, and myself and this other designer got to create a title sequence and all the set graphics. And the designer was helping me with the show package, and she created this really beautiful set graphic that we would display on this giant LED screen behind the comedians. And uh, the set graphic consisted of the words Wanda Sykes, like repeated over and over, like a hundred times, and like a really nice vertical and horizontal, like kind of collage kind of thing. And it was really nice and colorful. And I looked at it, and I loved it, and I started prepping it for the set, and the producers liked it, and everything got approved and I just wish I had spent like two more minutes staring at that graphic because of all the hundred times Wanda Sykes name was there. There was one time where there was a typo in her name (gasps) and it happened to be like right in the middle of the graphic, right behind the comedian's head. And nobody, nobody noticed it. (laughs) And it ended up, we ended up taping the special and it was about to air like a week later. And so while they were editing the show, Wanda Sykes herself walks into the edit session and she looks at the ed- editor's monitor and she's like, uh, why is my name is misspelled? <laughs> and instead of listing your name as Wanda Sykes, the typo said Wanda Skykes. <laughs> we added a K for some reason. So, so what did call- you guys do? Did you guys have to cancel the whole thing? No, they, I mean, we already taped it and everything. So they called me in the room and everyone was flipping out and we, they were asking me how to fix it. And so, like, I had, like, five days before the show was going to air on TV. And, like, there was camera pans on a thing. I was trying to figure out like, how to, like, track track it and, like, make a patch to fix that typo. But, like, there was camera pans and it was behind the comedian's <laughs> hair. So I had, like, oh. roto the hair. And I had to bring in, like, freelancers in. And we were all working, like long hours like five of us every day wow and also it was an led screen so like filming an led screen you sometimes get that like noise and kind of like you know flickery stuff so we had to like simulate that so this kind of turned into like a big vfx project (laughs) and we like spent a lot of money trying to fix this and it was like the most expensive typo ever (laughs) and i felt embarrassed every time i had to like meet with the producers telling them the progress because i'm like i'm like this is money that we shouldn't have to be spending. It was I should have caught this mistake. And oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! Wow! I'm curious now. I just want to see the the final product at this point. I'm curious to see what you were able to put together. I think what we did was pretty impressive. I don't think if you look at it, you'll ever notice that there was there's an actual fake 
you know, patch on the screen. <laughs> but I'm sure at the moment when you found that, that out, I'm sure your heart probably just like dropped yep. to the floor. Yep. <laughs> Which reminds me, I remember my boss was telling me his mistake. He, he, he's a graphic designer and he was working on a book and he totally misspelled author's last name. And uh-huh. the author was scheduled to speak like in Hawaii or something like that. And so they overnighted all these different books, like 8,000 of them all misspelled and he got a phone call early in the morning and uh he said his heart just like stopped beating for like three seconds (laughs) (laughs) man so what did you learn from that mistake uh you gotta that experience i guess yeah i mean you gotta even though there's sometimes there's like tight deadlines and you're kind of rushed sometimes to get things done you always have to make sure to double check everything gotta do that you know proofread everything you know, <laughs> before sending it back to the client because uh yeah could bite you in the butt <laughs> man 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 that's a that's a pain one a painful one yeah. now let's let's shift gears and talk about something completely opposite let's talk about your mm-hmm. best moment sure uh actually uh, another show i worked on at uh when i was working at the oprah winfrey network was a. Uh, the Rosie O'Donnell talk show <laughs> and she had like a short lived talk show there. And I was the art director for that. And so I don't know if it was like a moment, but it was just like this period of time. It was like a sh- only a couple months before it got canceled. But in that few months, like I felt it was such a crazy turnaround because we were creating this show from the whole show package from nothing. And like, it was a talk show where she wanted to do game shows in it and all these different segments and like all these needed graphics and logos. And so every morning I'd come in at like nine and like there'd be all these requests like we need a logo for this. We need to we're doing this game show. So we need a whole interface for this game show. And these shows were taping at 6 p.m. So like I had only a day to create this whole package every day. And so like I was working with a team and we were all like hustling and creating like just having like one word like they would send us like we need a thing that says you know rosie's i don't know wheel of fortune or something kind of like that and then over the course of like eight or nine hours we'd create this whole package and then put it on set and like all the the lighting crew would take our color scheme that we would come up with and light the whole studio to our colors and then i come come home at night and watch the thing that i made that was didn't exist that morning and it's on tv already at six o'clock <laughs> so wow, it's a, it's a quick turnaround i just loved you know the just that i had such a impact on the visuals of a show and everyone in my team kind of coming together to get something really cool done no it's very rewarding for sure i'm curious how many people does it take to produce such a big show uh for the oprah show there is probably at least 12 of us for just like a single show but i don't think that's common <laughs> i think that's just because it's oprah and they wanted a lot of people for the Rosie show, there was usually just me and the designer, or maybe one or two other designers. Why did it get canceled? Do you know? Ratings? Ratings, and she kind of... Originally, she was taking over the set of the Oprah show, and she was trying to make like a, a funny kind of thing, like the Tonight Show kind of thing. But she, like a couple months in, Rosie's like, I don't really want to do this big thing. I don't want to replace Oprah. I just want to do something small. So she got rid of the studio audience. She got rid of the set and she kind of just had like a table and two chairs and did something more like a Larry King kind of interview. And it was 
wasn't as exciting because she's not getting the big A-list celebrities <laughs> coming to Chicago. So it was kind of, you know, Oprah had to kind of pull the plug on that eventually. That's interesting. I always wondered how shows like, you know, it's like grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> <Just like Yep. laughs> six months later, just like, boom, all that work, just thin air. Right. But luckily at that point, we were working on multiple shows. So like, even I though that you. one got canceled, we still had other shows to work on. It's kind of like being a farmer, you're putting all these seeds in the ground. And uh, you know, if one dies, you still have five other, you know, plants <laughs> growing. Right. There was one time during the Rosie show where I actually had to present stuff to Rosie like she wanted like this new segment like how did that go uh (laughs) (laughs) so like I brought it to her office and had it on my iPad and I showed it to her and she looked at it and she's like is this the best you could do I could have made this myself and she kind of throws the iPad back at me and I'm just like (laughs) shocked and I don't know what to say I'm like uh wow okay what did you say did you say anything to her I just said okay I guess I'll uh, give it another shot but I don't know. what I was kind of like, wow, that's rude. <laughs> I would just say, well, why don't you do it? I want to see I'd love you to, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see you try. <laughs> Get into After Effects. Yeah. <laughs> so from your personal experience, Rosie's not the nicest. Uh, she had good days and bad days. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good days, bad days. Yeah. But I guess, you know, when you're under that much pressure, you know, be, right. there's so much pressure on her performing and speaking and all that stuff. I guess maybe at that point, they don't take things personal. They're just kind of like, whatever. I'd like to think that everyone is nice, but that's just not the case. <laughs> right. I'm going to leave it yeah. at that. Right. <laughs> well, let's let's transition talking about a quick, well, I'm going to ask you like a total of six questions, maybe seven. I often sure. lie, sometimes six plus. And the first question is, how do you overcome creative blocks? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> uh Usually when I have creative blocks, they're usually at the concepting phase, like creating style frames or storyboards. And if I have the luxury of being able to step away from the project and come back to it, I'll do that. I'll just like, you know, go on Instagram and look at some cool work or Pinterest and just try to find some sort of inspiration, even if it's not related to what I'm working on, just something like some kind of animation or composition but in most cases, I've got style frames due the next day or, you know, I got a tight deadline. So usually I just need to power through and just like, even if I just start sketching things or just like opening up Photoshop and just like putting things on the screen and moving things around, I might waste an hour of my time just making sketches that aren't right for the project. But hopefully in that process of doing that, by the end of that hour, I'll get like a little glimpse of something that might work and then at least i'll have something to start with you know i'm curious so when you get a new project Mm -hmm. do you do you get nervous let's say if it's a project that's like kind of uh stretching you a little bit yeah i still get nervous even though i've been doing this for like 15 (laughs) years (laughs) what do you do to kind of battle those nerves uh i try to think of I don't know. I try to just try to break it up into smaller kind of thing, man, more manageable things. Like I can do this part. I, I know how to do this part. I don't know how to do this part, but I can probably figure it out by the time I get there. And <laughs> you know, the way I look at it, it's kind of like Lego Masters. My my kids just love that show, Lego Masters on Fox. Yep. And it's like with every episode, it's kind of like taking on a project, right? 
and there's this challenge. They're like, okay, whoever builds this thing and there's this 10 hours to do it in. And, you know, people just like, oh my gosh, we just wasted two hours brainstorming this. We need to hurry up and start working. <laughs> and that's kind of like just watching the whole thing. I, I kind of related to just projects in general. You have time that's kind of putting pressure on you, then limitations and there's other different things. And man, it can get pretty stressful. So it's always interesting to me how people, you know, how, how they deal with that. You know, talking to a lot of creatives over the last two years, it's interesting how so many people have different systems. Do you have like a system that you follow? As far as like starting a project? Starting a project, like, do you have like, okay, I, I'm going to, for the first part, I'm going to do this, that, and kind of like a system that you trust in, like a funnel kind of thing? Uh, yeah, but like each project I get is different. And like sometimes I'm. Oh, that makes it even more challenging. Yeah, sometimes they just have a script and they need me to create everything, the storyboard, style frames, the look and feel. Ah, oh, see, I didn't think about that because, you know, if you work in, uh, let's say, in politics and you just create these types of graphics just for this network, then you, right. you kind of got the system down. But if every yeah. project is different, man, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> when I did work at like Oprah and stuff, when we had like shows and they all had the same graphics every week or every day, like the same lower thirds, then we would build you know, templates and systems just like automate things as much as possible. Yep. Awesome. Actually, uh, the first job, the current TV, they were definitely ahead of their time because their tech team, they were able to do stuff where like they have this thing called Google current where like every 30 minutes, like during a commercial break, they would tell you what was the most Googled or what's the most trending Googled search term. It was completely automated. Like they had a script that would find that word from the internet and then a script that would open up After Effects, paste that word into a text field, wow. render out that f- file, move that file onto a server and then send that to wherever it needs to be broadcast on the satellite to wherever. And so like we made that After Effects project, but then eventually it was like Python scripts or whatever. I don't know how they did it but it was really cool for like 2005 being able to do all that yeah that's that's early on in the game 2005 that's uh that's very impressive it's still impressive today but 2005 (laughs) that's pretty impressive stuff now for the next question if you could give one piece of advice to aspiring uh, motion designer animator what would it be um i would say you would need to put in the work especially when like when you're starting out motion design doesn't really come naturally to everyone You just need to keep creating and keep uh, animating. Even if it's just like an hour a day, you need to find time to improve your skills. So like, even though you might be a full-time student or you might have a a full-time job somewhere else, you need to find that free time, even though it might be limited. You know, everyone can spare at least, you know, an hour a day to improve themselves. (laughs) True. And that might be like one less hour of going out with friends or, Social watching media. Netflix or social media or <laughs> playing video games or anything like that. But when you're trying to like break into this industry, you may need to like temporarily shift that work life balance to <laughs> kind of shift towards work to like make that hustle for a couple months. Speaking of work life balance mm-hmm. for the next question, how do you balance work life? Uh, good question. <laughs> I wish they taught me this in school. Cause it's, it's <laughs> definitely a both. challenge. Yeah. Like I said, when I was, you know, in my early 20s and single. I, it was easy, right? It, there was no balance. It was all work. <laughs> like I, I loved that I had a job where I can make animations for a living. So like 
I would voluntarily work late. I would voluntarily come in on the weekends. I lived like two blocks from my office. So I just walk over, work a couple hours, come back home. But like now, now I got two kids. I was married for seven years. Now we're divorced. But like I was always, you know, and I had full-time jobs of freelancing. I'm working nine to six, maybe. Even though it's a nine to six, I'm like, if I spend an extra 30 minutes, this animation could be better. If I just, or maybe spend another hour, I could even make it even better. But that's 30 minutes less that I get to be with my wife and kids or an hour. And like, especially when they were little, like they're going to go to bed soon. So I got, I want to see them, but it's always a little tricky <laughs> now that, you know, I'm divorced and I have the kids, you know, half the week. I definitely uh, am more strict about not making sure I have, when I'm with them, I, I'm not working or I'm making sure I'm home in time to be with them. No, that's so, very uh, important. That's something yeah. that I've struggled with for, for a long time, just unplugging from everything. Because especially when you work from home, it's hard because home is work and and especially right now where you can't really leave the house. Yep. <laughs> so it makes it much harder. But I learned from my personal experience, and I have two boys as well, mm-hmm. that just planning calendar, like dedicate certain days for certain things. Like one day of the week, it's my personal time with one of my sons. Another day of the week is my personal time with another son. And then my wife and I usually have a date on a Friday. So mm-hmm. I know that if everything is in compartments, like if I schedule, have a block time for certain things, that it will happen. But if I don't put it on the calendar... Chances are I'll default to distractions and work and all these other things, right. but but it's not perfect, but it's working yeah. for me. So for now, I'm sticking to that. <laughs> yeah. Now, due to the whole quarantine, everything's really crazy because my ex, she's a nurse, so she's working Ooh, every day. Wow. So the boys are with me during the day every day, and they got the e-learning classes, which is really confusing and not really organized <laughs> and, and downloading PDFs and downloading a teacher. apps. Yep. Trying like to teach a teacher them. Assistant. <laughs> trying to teach them and feed them and uh, make sure they're getting exercise. And then also trying to answer client emails and try to do some work. But I feel like these past couple of weeks I've been kind of with them during the day. And then maybe in the evenings they can watch a movie or something. And I'm kind of catching up on some, freelance work or like sometimes i have to do it at night speaking of coronavirus how is this affecting your work or is it affecting your work uh luckily i've still got a steady stream of work i've definitely had some bigger projects get canceled like i had a big project that was supposed to be in all of april that was supposed to be for a expo or a trade show and that kind of is no longer happening so like a lot of that's happening and I would say 50% of my freelance has been on site with various Chicago studios. And a lot of those places originally had me on hold for April and now they no longer need me. (laughs) Maybe they're not as busy as they were a couple of weeks ago. Well, hopefully all that's going to pick up soon because, man, I'm hearing a lot of people losing their job, especially like in the entertainment business, sports. I mean, mm-hmm. like, what is ESPN doing right now? I haven't tuned in, but I'm curious. What are they doing? I, Ping pong? I watched. They did, like, best Michael Jordan moments, best, you know, <laughs> who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. They're just, like, the classics, <laughs> playing, like, classic movies. Or classic it's kind of shit. interesting to see, like, all these uh, late-night hosts just trying to improvise and, you know, doing stuff from, from home <laughs> with their kids. And Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> They're, like, became yeah. YouTubers now. Yeah. I feel like even though they don't have a crew and stuff, I'm like, YouTubers can do a better job than you guys. At least they can have a tripod and 
color yes. corrector video and have a nice microphone because like you bring up like a Fall- good point yeah because jimmy Fallon has a big team you know and so he's now he's by himself he's he's relying on this probably his laptop computer with a i think yeah, his microphone. wife is the cameraman and she's oh, really? like using her iphone and like it's the audio is bad and oh, poor gosh. lighting. I'm like, at least get a light, you know. He's going to become a YouTuber after this. He's after <laughs> after all this. He's going to be like, forget this big stage. I'm just going to improve my video skills <laughs> and become a YouTuber. <laughs> but these shows seem popular, so like, no, it was I wonder popular. if I wonder if the network's like, why are we giving spending you guys millions? A big budget, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all you need is an iPhone and a. And a wife running around recording the whole thing. You know, Jake, you bring up a good point. I think after this whole thing is said and done, I think people are going to reevaluate everything, how they do meetings, how they travel. Like, really, wow, we can get so much done without having to travel across the country for all these meetings. We can just meet via Zoom and all these different conference, uh, streaming video, whatever, companies, software. So I think some some interesting things are going to come about. And I think that it's going to benefit a lot of motion designers because... I think motion designers will be creating a lot of different things more than mm-hmm. before. So what's your take on that? Yeah. As a freelancer, I feel like it might benefit me because I've been seeing a bunch of studios. Now they're kind of transitioned to working from home and they're like, wow, it's actually a lot easier than we thought. You know, we're all on zoom conference calls. We're all on Slack talking and we thought it'd be harder, but it's actually pretty easy. So hopefully I can get more remote freelance work and, because in the past, there's been companies where they want me to work on site, but it's, I'm like, I, I can work remote, but I can't. Then I go, we need you. It's not going to work remote. You need to come on site. But maybe now they're like, eh, maybe it actually would work. <laughs> I think it's kind of like everyone always wanted to try working from home, but they just didn't want to try it. But now since everyone was forced to do it, I think mm-hmm. what if just 10% of people love it or companies and say, Hey, why, why are we waking up super early to get dressed, commute to work, be stuck in traffic? Well, we can just do everything from home, be in mm-hmm. the comfort of our home, be around our family. And we can actually, most people probably, you can get more things done at home because nobody's popping in every five seconds and asking how your, your weekend was and you're repeating right. the same thing over and over. So I think some good's going to come about. There's going to be probably less traffic in cities yep. like your city, Chicago. Definitely. Uh, because more people are going to be commuting or working from home. So less pollution, <laughs> less pollution. Yeah. And I think they will be more connected with families, more plugged into their local communities. So a mm-hmm. lot of good's going to, at least that's what I'm hoping now for the next question. And this was a mm-hmm. fun one. What profession other than you own, would you like to attempt? Huh. <laughs> uh, I've never seriously considered it, but like I've always thought it'd be cool to like own a restaurant. Like, <laughs> I love watching those Food Network shows where they're like Restaurant Impossible, where they're building a <laughs> restaurant. And I just like the whole like design, cr- creating a nice atmosphere, having a cool menu. But, you know, I know it's going to be a lot of work. And stuff, yeah. So I was about to say I was a server for many, many years. It is a lot of hard work, man. Working yep. restaurant business on your feet all day long, but unless you do it right. So I don't right. want to kill your dreams. Jake. I don't <laughs> Besides that, I also think and it could still be a possibility later in my career like possibly like teaching especially like when i was whenever i'm in an art director role and i'm kind of teaching a younger per a junior designer or something teaching them after effects or c4d and i kind of like it's kind of fulfilling to see that you know what i'm teaching them is helping them in their career and could be something uh 
Awesome. And when you're ready to do that, you let me know. We'll we'll help you out. (laughs) Now for the next question, share one of your personal habits that contributes to your success. I would say professionally, I try to always treat everyone kindly and I always try to be reliable. I don't want clients wondering when I'm going to be posting stuff. I I don't want them to be surprised about anything. And uh, I try to stay optimistic and positive about a project. Like sometimes you get a project and it's not the most exciting thing. It's like a car insurance (laughs) commercial or, you know, healthcare tech kind of boring thing. But you always need to stay positive about things because if you're if you don't like it, your work is going to show and eventually the project's not going to look as good as it could. And creatively, I'm always interested and curious about trying new things and working in new styles you know, after doing this for like 15 years, I end up, you know, with a portfolio that has a mix of a lot of different styles and clients seem to like that because I'm kind of like a generalist, especially studios, because they might have me come in for one project, but while we're waiting for feedback or something, I can hop on all these other types of projects because I know a little bit of C4D or can do a little bit of cell or do a little bit of typography animations and stuff like that. So it kind of helps <laughs> no the more you know balanced, the more hybrid yeah. you are yeah for sure now where do you get your inspiration from uh i'm definitely on instagram a lot i like to follow individual artists and i also follow studios i part i kind of use instagram as a professional kind of creative kind of inspiration place i also like pinterest i know a lot of people use pinterest i like looking at making boards and looking at different compositions and stuff and then I, uh, in general, I'm a big movie guy. I love watching movies. I go to the, when the movie theaters are open, I would probably go at least once a week. So just like watching movies would sometimes, you know, influence me or get some kind of idea in my mind for a animation that I want to make or something. Awesome. I was going to ask you for the next question. I was going to ask you to recommend an internet resource that you find helpful in your work or personal life. Now you already mentioned Instagram, uh, what are, the, what are the ones? Pinterest. Are there any other ones that we should know of? I mean, specifically for like motion design, I, I've been going to Grayscale Gorilla. That's oh, pretty much where I learned yeah. a lot of, you know, C40. I learned and from And they're in them. Chicago too, right? Yep. Have you met him? Yep. I, I played ping pong against Nick. Did you beat once. him? <laughs> I did beat him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Beat the gorilla. <laughs> He's a giant too, right? He's like yeah. six, three, four, something like that. He seems pretty tall. I'm six yeah. too. So we're similar i just remember being very surprised how tall he is he's very tall (laughs) but yeah that and school emotion i'll definitely check out you guys now that you're on my radar awesome well and for the last question jake how can people get in touch with you uh they can go to my website uh, jakematthew.com i spell my name uh my last name m-a-t-h-e-w just one t no s (laughs) a lot of people spell it differently or you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Jake Matthew. Awesome. Well, Jake, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, man. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jake Matthew. Make sure to check out Jake's website, jakematthew.com, spelled J-A-K-E-M-A-T-H-E. 
ukremedia.com. And as always, don't forget to join our free online mentoring group on Facebook at ukremedia.com slash community. And make sure to check out our courses and scripts at ukremedia.com. Again, it's ukremedia.com. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Ukremedia podcast. Bye-bye.